So if you're new with us, or if you haven't been around recently, what we're doing is we're wrapping up a three-part series called Fear Not. And we've been looking at different instances in the Christmas story where an angel would appear, and the very first thing that the angel says when they come is what? Fear not. Fear not. And so we saw an angel appear to Mary in the first message. We saw an angel appear to Joseph. And today, we're going to look at the angel appearing to shepherds. So in the fear that I want to talk about today in our story is a fear that many people have. It's a fear of where do I stand with God? For those of you that believe in God or you believe that there's more to, life, that more to this life, that something's going to happen to us after we die, a lot of times in a quiet and in, in an honest moment, we ask ourselves, you know, what, do you, what could possibly happen to me? What, what happens when this is all over? And where do I stand with God? Where am I in this picture? And so I can't speak for any of the rest of you, but I can tell you that for me growing up as a child, I was a little bit scared about my relationship with God at times. Maybe that was you. Um, and, and I don't know, how, how many of you remember the bedtime prayer? It seemed to be popular when I was growing up, and I don't, I don't really understand this, I don't, I don't get this so much, but maybe, maybe you know this one, parents, you would kneel down at the bed with your four-year-old, and you would pray this, now I lay me down to sleep, say it with me if you know it, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, little Jimmy, sweet dreams. <laughs> right? What, what is, why? <laughs> and so we, we didn't pray that in my house, but I could just imagine some kid, you know, praying your bedtime prayer, the door closes behind him. I could die tonight. God's going to take my soul. And, you know, so, you know, what's going on with that? I don't, I mean, we, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know what was going on there. And so, but, but what I remember growing up for me was going to kids' church, and for me, when I was there, I'd be there every Sunday, and I would raise my hand every single Sunday for the salvation prayer at the end, because I, I, I guess I figured in my theology, I messed up that week, and I wanted to make things right, I didn't, and I knew enough that I wanted to be right with Jesus, so I would raise my hand. And you know, now that I think back about it, you know, I think back to that time, I, I'm, I'm just wondering what my children's pastor, you know, was thinking you know, when she would get to the service at the end and she'd, you know, be preparing to go into that prayer time, you know, and <laughs> I wonder if she said, you know, really was trying to, you know, okay, how many of you have never prayed the salvation prayer before? I mean, you've never, ever, ever in your life prayed, okay, Sean, okay, let's pray it again, you know, <laughs> because that's what I, I remember that. I remember raising my hand, I just wanted to be sure. And, you know, today we're, we're going to look at another fear not angel story. And I believe that this story, it's a very popular portion of the, of the Christmas text, could speak to us in a way that could, could be a game changer. So let's look at Luke 2. Go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. The key player, again, in this story is the shepherds. Um, why don't you read it with me this morning? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, King James translation, fear not. <laughs> the version that we're reading this morning says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today I bring you good news, fear not. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for your word. I just ask that you'd speak directly to our hearts, God. We want to hear from you, Lord, and as a result of meeting with you here this morning, being here with this morning, I pray that we walk out of here changed, God. Thank you so much. In your mighty name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So, looking forward a bit, if you're curious to where we're going in, in early 2019, um, I've, been, I've been praying about it. I, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about where we're going. We're going to start with a, a series called Giants Going Down in 2019. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I like that. So winning the battle against your giants. And, you know, so we, we all have giants in our lives. And really, it, it kind of plays into this fear message that we've been talking about, that we've been in for this, these three weeks. And fear will diminish our ability to live life to the full. So I just want to talk what, about what it means to live in victory and what it means to slay some giants. So giants going down. Excited for that in January. And after that, we're going to be rolling into the launch of our emphasis on us, the church family, community, small groups, and a series that we're going to call This Is Us. And then one more series out from that, um, I want to talk about what if Jesus really meant when he said... He asked us to love our neighbors. What if he really meant that? I want to talk about the art of neighboring. So those three series feel like a good way uh, for Jesus and us to roll into 2019 to me. I hope you'll join us for those. But today, let's go back to the scripture that we just read. And some people, when you start talking about the gospel story, they say, okay, well, what's the good news? I mean, if we need a savior, what do we need a savior from? And so what's really interesting to me about this story is who the angels appeared to, who the angel appeared to. Um, back in this time, whenever a family would give birth, it was common, if they had the financial means at all, they would hire a herald. Now, that'd be the person that would go out and herald or announce the birth of their child, especially if they had a firstborn son and the culture, that was a really big deal. So they wanted to make a big deal about it because it was a symbol of, of God's blessing that the family name would continue on. And so they would hire a herald to announce the good news that the child was born. So if your name was Fred, you were out of luck, right? Is that, is that your joke? <laughs> okay. They would hire a herald. Okay. There we go. I threw it in for you. <laughs> You know, we do that on Facebook or Instagram now, but back then they would hire a herald. And so the, this is what God does. So God sends an angel to herald or to announce the good news. But what's really interesting, again, is who God sends it to. So think about it. If the Son of God is being born on earth, who would you think that God would send the big announcement to. It'd be a royal court. It would be the kings. It would be, you know, the religious leaders of the day is what you would think. But instead, God sends the angel to make this big announcement about his son coming to the earth to some shepherds. What you maybe don't recognize is that shepherds were one of the most disrespected groups of people 
Um, They were were outcasts. The the job of a shepherd was so low that if I were a father and and, and I had to have a shepherd in the family, he'd give it to the youngest son. You know that from the, the story of David, right? But if, if, they did, if they didn't want to do that, a lot, a lot of times it's even more often reserved for slaves. Because shepherds were considered uneducated. They, they didn't have access to education. They had no means of advancement in their career. So uh, even above that, according to the religious system, shepherds were always rejected. The religious leaders taught that shepherds were not good enough for God. That they could not be made right with God. In fact, the shepherds couldn't live up to the, the religious rules and the structures. And so it's no wonder that they always worried about and they lived in the fear of where do I stand with God? They, I'm falling short. Where am I in this picture? Okay. So now why did they feel different? Three quick things. Okay. First reason is they felt very unworthy on your notes. Many of us have felt this way. You know, uh, these guys were, were feeling this way. It was a kind of a constant feeling. They were outcasts in Israel. Like I said, they were taught specifically, you are not good enough. They had fingers pointing at them all the time. You are not good enough. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for this culture. And so the reason is these guys were nomads. They were, they were travelers. They, they had to, to go around with their sheep. Their jog took them on the road, kind of like a, a trucker might go on the road for 10 days. These guys would be gone for weeks, sometimes even months. And um, so they could come back to the temple and do the, the kind of religious ceremonies that was required by the religious system of the day. So they were declared ceremoniously unclean. In other words, you are not right with God and you cannot get right with God because they couldn't perform their their religious duties because they were on the road. And so as you can imagine, they also hung out with sheep. And so how did they smell? Right? Bad. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Brett. (laughs) They did not smell good. (laughs) I love it. I love it. There, I told him, I said, you can just let it out. Second service will take it. <laughs> there were no truck stops for them to go and clean up. They just smelled. And so they were physically dirty, but even more so above that, there was damage to their soul because they were considered spiritually dirty. So much so that a religious person would not even touch a shepherd because if their body touched the shepherd, they would be considered spiritually unclean. And so you can only imagine how unworthy they felt. And the reality is that's the way a lot of us feel. You know, we come into church and we try to put on the church face, but we know the things that we've done. And, you know, we think if I, if I know what I've done... And, and I know the good things that I could do and I don't. And I know the things that I shouldn't do that I do. How could God love somebody who's done what I've done? And then you look around at everybody else and, you know, it's, it's Christmas time and everybody's dressing up in their clothes and it's Christmassy and everybody looks so holy and righteous. <laughs> and you're like, they look perfect. And you're thinking to yourself, okay. I almost hurt my children on the way to church. If my arm was long enough, I would have taken them out. 
You know, it's like there's a line in the middle. You do not cross. Brush your hair. You know, get it together. We're going to go worship God. <laughs> and then you come into church. You're like, oh, man, I messed that up. And you start looking at everybody else and you feel unworthy. The shepherds felt unworthy. Then also, if you're taking notes, they felt very inadequate. They felt very, very inadequate. Um, they were uneducated, and so they never felt like they measured up in society. And it's amazing when we compare ourselves, isn't it, <laughs> to others, how inadequate we can feel. Um, it's like when you go to your friend's home, and their house is perfect, it smells like roses and candles, and, and the floor is like you would really eat off of it. Their kids brush their hair. She hasn't, she hasn't even, you know, she wasn't here for the first service. So she didn't even hear her. I said, I said that first service. <laughs> and then you, you, it makes you think about your house. You go back to your house and it smells like dirty laundry. You haven't seen the floor since 2007. <laughs> or hairbrush. And you think to yourself, I feel so inadequate. I, I went to Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. That's where I went to Bible school. And it's a school that's uh, widely known for its worship. They, they do uh, worship recordings a couple a year at the time when I was there. And what's funny, though, is that when I was there, I felt like God was telling me to, to kind of lay that stuff down. So I, I really uh, didn't touch my keyboard all that much when I was there. And that was, for me, a guy that loves music. I was writing a lot of songs at the time. And, um, and you know, I love to worship. And, and so it was, a, it, was, it was hard, but I felt like that was what God asked me to do. But I, I can still remember, even, even when I wasn't playing music, I, I felt... I would walk through the music hall where they'd have the pianos and the, kind of, they had instrument rooms. And I would walk through those rooms and just feel so <laughs> inadequate. It's, it's like when Pastor Brett plays the piano and it smokes, you know, when it's done. He's done doing the solo. That's what I imagined when I was walking by some of those rooms because they were just so gifted. And I thought, man, I cannot do that. And I, and I thought to myself, as I saw them up on the stage and they were recording these songs, um, you know, I thought, you know, they are so much better than me. And I just cannot lead music that way. I cannot play music that way. Couldn't lead like that. So what's even worse, spiritually, for the shepherds, when they compared themselves, one of the big rules is you had to keep the Sabbath. One of the big spiritual rules of the day. You had to take a day of total rest. And for the shepherds, they couldn't do that because... If you've been around sheep, they need 24-7, seven days a week, protection and care. So physically, they could not do everything that they were supposed to do. And so they felt like this constant just failure. And they're looking at the rest of society and they say, I cannot do that. I cannot. I cannot be that. I cannot do that. Sometimes... We look around at other people, we play the comparison game, and we think, you know, they seem so close to God. You know, they've got Bible verses for everything, and they're quoting books of the Bible, and I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. <laughs> and, you know, their prayers are so powerful. My last prayer was, Lord, take that guy out that took my parking spot at Walmart, you know. 
I'm so unspiritual. We, we start even talking to ourselves that way. They felt this way. They felt very unworthy. They felt very, very inadequate. The third thing, the third challenge that the shepherds would have had is that they felt very unloved. So in reality, most of these guys were thieves. It's kind of a sad fact, but even, even the ones that weren't thieves, they were known as thieves. That was their reputation. They were not trusted. And so people, you know, wanted to stay a far distance from them. In fact, they were so distrusted that a shepherd wasn't even allowed to give a testimony in a court case because you can't trust a shepherd. They wanted to get married, but no father wanted to bless their daughter to marry a shepherd because they were so low, they were so filthy, they were so uneducated, and they had no hopes for a better future. So who would want their daughter to go into that place? So they felt incredibly unloved. And the reality is, so tragically, is that's the way many people would feel today. There may be some of you here, your dad left you when you were a kid. And you're wondering, so what's wrong with me? What did I do? Why, why couldn't you stick around? I mean, it was just me and mom. And all the questions come, right? Or there's the, there may be some of you that you're going to have Christmas this year without your spouse because, you know, your spouse chose somebody else. Just, just said, you know what, I don't love you anymore. And, and then and all of a sudden, you're looking at yourself and going, what did I do? I, I tried to do everything in my power. And you feel unloved. Some of you, you look in the mirror and you don't like the person looking back at you. And so you, you don't even love yourself. And you think, if, if they don't love me and I don't love me, how in the world is God going to love me? And I, let's just think about the difference between perception and, and reality for a second this morning. Perception on a day like this, we're, we're here together in church, and, you can, and we can look all around, and we can think to ourselves, well, you know, he's got it all together, she's got it all together, he's got all this stuff, and I don't have all this stuff. And, and we, we just start comparing, they, they look like if they've got their good family life, I look like, man, I look at myself and it's a mess. And, and, and if they really knew me, it's kind of the things that, you know, we start processing internally, and you have no idea that the pain or the people that, uh, what they're processing, even in the rows sitting next to us, are dealing with. So right in front of you, there could be the guy that's, you know, doing the best he can to worship God, but he feels like an utter and complete failure. He's struggling financially, and he knows that when his kids go back to school, somebody's going to say, what did you get for, for Christmas? And his kids are going to want to lie because they didn't get much. And he wanted to give them the world, but he didn't have the means, and so he feels like a complete failure. There could be a single mom who's about ready to give up because she feels so inadequate. I can't do this. You know, if it weren't for my children, I don't know if I'd be holding this all together right now. There's somebody else maybe in sitting right behind you who's single, and all oh, their friends, you know, they're married, and they're struggling, and they're saying, what about me? I'm trying to be a Christian, I'm serving, I'm trying to be a good catch. And yet, what's wrong? Maybe you're sitting next to somebody in your section, somebody that looks incredibly successful. They've got it all together, has more money than you, has more things than you, but inside they're carrying such a burden and so much pain, and they don't feel like they have anyone close to them that they can, can open up to. Unworthy inadequate, 
and loved. And the bottom line is this. Religion did not work for the shepherds. It made them feel even more distant from God. Religion did not work for them, and it won't work for us. And some of you hear that and think, well, wait a minute, I thought the guy standing up on the stage was the pastor. <laughs> what are you saying? Well, if you've been around here, you know, you know exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying. I'm saying God did not send Jesus to bring religion into the world, but in so many ways to set us free from religion and to give us something way better. So you see, the problem with religion is that religion reduces Christianity down to rules of, of do's and don'ts. And if I do the right thing, I'll feel better about myself. If I don't do the, the wrong thing, I'll feel better about myself. I mean, I must be a good person. I mean, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with the women that do. So I must be okay, right? And if you do that, then, then I have the right to look down at you because I've got my act together and I've got, I've got it all. I've got my do's all lined up and my don'ts all lined up. And Jesus looked at that kind of behavior. And do you know what he said? <laughs> it makes me want to puke. <laughs> It makes me want to vomit. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you're so focused on the outside and on the inside, it's filth. You're so concerned. The outside looks clean and the inside where it matters is filthy. He says, you're missing the entire point. And so religion did not work for the shepherds and it doesn't work for us because Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but was meant to be a relationship with a person. That's why God sent a person a son, his son. That's why God sent Jesus. That's the good news. And you can say, well, okay, if this is the good news, you know, if, if, if there's a savior, what does that mean for me today? Because, uh, you know, how does that apply in my life today? Because it feels like I've got some broken parts. So I, what does this mean for me? And I want to show you just in a few of the, just the clearest verses, I think, of all the Bible written by the Apostle Paul, who, if you don't know, what was his story? What was, what was his relationship with Christians back in the day? He was killing them. He was leading people against the Christians. And so, but when he met the love of God, he was so transformed, he became one of the greatest representatives of Christ in history. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And so here's what he said. Very succinct version of the good news. He said this, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read it and then we'll break it down a little bit. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This is good. It says, because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. And then, but, but what has God done? Verse 21, God has now shown us a way to be made right with him. And here's the good news. Without keeping the requirement of the law. What does that mean? Verse 22, we are made right with God, not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. So let's break it down. Simple as one, two, three. If you're taking notes, what's the good news? Number one, the good news is you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. That's good news. 
We can't do it. And this was such good news to the shepherds because in their culture, in their day, they were, the Pharisees were trying to put on them 613 laws. And so for, for Jesus to come to the picture, you know, even after that, there was the Ten Commandments, but Jesus comes on the picture and God said, let's make it easy. I'm just going to give you two. Love me, love people. And I, I mean, I think if, even if you just do the one, love God, he infuses you with a love for people. The second one comes naturally, love God. <laughs> and I'll give you a love for people. So they were trying to obey 613 laws and the shepherds physically just couldn't do it. And nobody could do that, right? Their occupation prohibited them from being able to obey the law. They were the lowest of the low. They were outcasts. And now the good news is you can't even do it even if you tried. Verse 20 says, for no one can ever be made, read it with me, be made right with God by what? By doing what the law commands. So why do we have the law? What's it even there for? Number one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Number two, what's the purpose of the law? It's to show you your need for a savior. It says very clearly, verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why is the law here? Read it with me. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This might be one of the most important things to talk about in our culture today because our culture, <laughs> one of the fundamental flaws of, of who we are is, is so many people just think, well, I'm, I'm a relatively good person. If I, if I were to ask how many of you think you're basically a good person and I were to ask that on the streets, people start comparing themselves. Well, I, I'm a generally good person because I know some people, man, and I'm not them, right? And if you compare yourself to other people, that might be true. But as if you've been around, we've been going through Ephesians, and we're not talking about comparing ourselves to people, are we? We're talking about comparing ourselves to God's standard. And when we put ourselves against, what was Ephesians 5 say again? Ephesians 5, is that where it is? It says, be imitators of God, right? The bar is set pretty high. Now we remember if we keep on reading, be imitators of God, how? As dearly loved children. It's not anything that we do. So, I mean, if, if we do a little exercise, and, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands this morning, but if I ask you how many of you have ever told a lie, and you answer that question this morning, what would your answer be? If I ask you the question, how many of you have ever stolen something, and you're honest, what would the answer be? <laughs> if I ask this question this morning, how many of you ever look lustfully at someone and, and what does Jesus say if you look lustfully? It says you've done what? You've committed adultery. So if you tell a lie, help me out, what are you? You're a liar. <laughs> now, if you've stolen something, what are you? Thief. You're a thief. If you've looked lustfully at somebody, uh, what are you? Adulterer. According to scripture, you're an adulterer. So are you, basically, are you telling me that we are a church of lying, thieving adulterers? Yep, that's us. This is the good news this morning, right? So why point this out? This is so important. This is what the law does. The law points out our need for a savior. We need grace. We need grace. And when we recognize that inherently by our flesh, we are not good people compared to God, then we begin to realize, I need your grace, God. 
And so when we realize our need for a Savior, you begin to recognize this also, religion is not going to cut it. Religion is not going to work. Then you'll be able to open your eyes and start looking for salvation through a person. 2,000 years ago when the Savior came to be with us, indeed, Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but to be a relationship. God coming to us and coming and dwelling with us and, and staying with us. He sent his son to be with us, to reveal himself to us and to reveal how good God is, how good the Father is. So what is the good news? Part of the good news is that you can't be good enough. <laughs> it sounds a little bit off, but it is. What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show us our need for a savior. So how are we made right with God? How can we ever be made right with God? Number three, the good news teaches us this. Righteousness by God comes by faith in Jesus alone. Yeah. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus tithes and offerings. It's not Christ plus good works. It's Christ plus nothing. It's putting our faith in Jesus alone. This is, this is verse 22. We are made right with God by doing what? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. How are we made right with God? Say it with me. Placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, the angel appeared to the shepherds, the people that both religion and the culture had rejected, and said, fear not, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. So how are you made right with God? Faith in Jesus. There's a story um, that I caught in the news this week. There's a, there's a waitress that was working in Pennsylvania. And this is a story that happened about this time last year. She was a nursing student named Melissa, and, and she received a tip last year that changed her life. She was working, she was on the job, and while she was talking to a stranger, Melissa was stunned when this man offered to help her with her school bills. In the end, um, the man, his name was Mr. Benjamin Olwine III, gave her about $30,000 to pursue and continue her education. Now, fast forward to today, in a twist of fate, Melissa works in a hospital wing named after Mr. Olwine, a title given because of his generous support of the hospital. And she, in response to this, said, he helped me. I didn't deserve it. I just want to help everyone else that I can. She's serving as a nurse. She's caring for people. She's giving her life in that way. The question I want to ask you this morning is, did we deserve the price that Jesus paid for us? No. But because of what the Son of God did for you on the cross, becoming sin for you, because of that, when you place your faith in him, God no longer sees your sin, but he sees righteousness, the righteousness of God. We didn't deserve it, but he paid the price anyway. And our response is our worship, right? But religion... When we look at religion, religion is all about us. 
It puts our eyes on us and our efforts to please God, our efforts to try to work out that relationship with God somehow. But relationship is about God's perfect work and satisfying the debt of sin that's already been paid. Religion is about what we do or what we don't do, whereas relationship is about what God did and his perfect work. You could spell religion D-O. Do, do, do this, do that, do, do, do. It's a bunch of doo-doo. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> that was all me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Relationship is D-O-N-E. It is done. It is a completed work. Religion says I have to work hard, and if I work hard, I might please God. But relationship says because I've already accepted, I'm already accepted because of what God has already done. And because of that, I want to serve him. So, and that's a game changer when you realize the shepherds in many ways felt like we do in many ways. Unworthy, inadequate, unloved. But fear not, for today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And so no matter how messed up, no matter how dirty, no matter how ugly or bad or alone or broken you feel, I'll read it again, verse 22, Romans 3. We are made right with God. Not by good works, not by religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And that's the good news. No matter who you are, a Savior has been born, and his name is Jesus, and he came for you. Amen. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just want to give you this time. Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel and the good news. For your presence today, Lord. We just ask, God, that you would minister to us in a way that would be giving and life-transforming because that's who you are. And as we pray today, there are those of you that you might be carrying a heavy burden even right now, and we've talked about it for three different weeks. We've talked about fear. With Mary, it was the fear of what God is asking me to do. With Joseph, it was the fear of what people think. Today, it's the fear of where I stand with God. And so some of you, you might be here this morning and your fear is financial. You have that, there's this burden. And you don't know, you know, how, how you're going to pay the bills. For some of you, it might be a bad health report or it might be a bad health report for somebody that you love. Others, there might be relational tension. It could be with your, uh, in your marriage or, or with, your, with your children. You might be going to see family even during the holiday break, and you know there's potential for some drama. Some of you, it just might be the burden of feeling alone. Whatever it is, there's a fear that's gripping you and you're afraid. 
Today, what I want us to do is give an opportunity for us to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. Every time an angel appeared in the stories that we've read, their first words were, fear not, do not be afraid. And the angel comes representing the heart of God to us because God is here. And when God is here, we really have nothing to fear. So God, reveal your truth to us this morning. And for those of us who would say, yeah, there's a heaviness, there's a burden, there's, there's something that's weighing on me, there's a concern, maybe there's a fear that, that I've been carrying today by faith. I just want to give that over to God with nobody looking around. Would you just put your hands up high in the air? And we're going to pray a prayer of agreement here this morning. Just be obedient to God and just let's release this together this morning. Let's pray this. God, we cast our cares on you. I want to thank you, God, that you will give us supernatural peace. That goes beyond even our human ability to understand. We thank you, God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But you have given us power, love, the spirit of a sound mind. God, we release, we cast away feelings of, of unworth, <laughs> if that's a word. <laughs> We've, we cast away feelings of inadequacy. that we are not loved. We give them to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. And let's continue in agreement because I know there's also those of us that come here this morning and we feel spiritually dirty. We feel spiritually unfit. We feel spiritually unclean, unworthy, unloved. And the good news today is that God loves us and he sent his son. That whoever calls in the name of Jesus, he responds to that, right? And we would be completely changed and forgiven. And it's no accident that you are here this morning. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, that there'd be a felt sense. Lord, that you'd move in spirits this morning, that you've called that one person that's even in our section that we don't know about that need to come to hear about you this morning and grab hold of faith, maybe even for the first time or re-surrender. God, it's, it's not our works. It's nothing that we do. God, I, I just pray Lord, that we'd stop, every single one of us in this room, we'd stop comparing ourselves to others, Lord, and we would just rest and cast our cares at the cross of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you would like to say yes to Jesus coming into your life and, 
being a savior, which is what he came to be, someone who would take your sins, take your, your sickness, it would take your brokenness. And there's, there's no promises for no pain, but there is promises that he will be there in the pain and he will be there forever and faithful with you. He came for you to set you free. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand with nobody looking around, keep your hand up. We wanna pray with you here this morning. Would you pray this with me? Father God, I give you my heart, all of my life, I surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to my rescue, for being my rescue. I surrender my life, all that I am, to you. Take my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate here this morning. Jesus.